In a time of intense political divisions, I think we can all agree on one thing. 2018 has been a wild year in Missouri politics. This month's primary set the stage for a full-on partisan brawl for Missouri's U.S. Senate seat and delivered a dominating and surprising victory for organized labor. But with six weeks to November's elections, could things get even wilder? From KCUR in Kansas City, I'm Brian Ellison, and this is Statehouse Blend, Missouri. Well, election season is almost here. In the Missouri Capitol, 163 seats in the House and 17 in the Senate are up for grabs. Pundits and politicians in Missouri are all scrambling to parse out how the state could change after this year's elections, or not. But one name that won't be on the ballot this time is Jason Kander. He's been a state rep, the Secretary of State. Two years ago, the Democrat came close to taking his own place in the U.S. Senate, losing by just three points to incumbent Roy Blunt. Since then... Kander started a national organization to focus on voting rights. He's written a book. He's opined on cable news networks. And now, Kander's running for something more local, mayor of Kansas City. Three years ago, Kander was on this program to talk about the politics of Missouri and where they were likely to go next. And now, as he is moving away from state politics, we wanted to know where he thinks things stand today. I want to go back to something you talked about when you were on this podcast three years ago. Um, the question was about the culture of the state house and the connection between uh, the, its culture and ethics laws and campaign finance laws. Um, and, and here's what you said back in 2015. I just think that so much of what comes out of Jefferson City that is embarrassing is a symptom of the fact that we have the worst campaign finance and ethics laws in the country. And I just can't get my mind around the idea that it, that it's not related. I mean, it's at the end of the day, when folks feel like there are no consequences for their actions, um, then you get actions in a wide variety of different areas that you don't approve of. That was Jason Kander in 2015. Uh, it's been three years. Uh, we've had talk about campaign finance and ethics uh, ever since, every year. What does Jason Kander in 2018 say? Has it gotten any better? Uh, it's hard for me to say whether it has gotten better because I've not been down there. Um, but what I will say is that the laws have only improved marginally. We had a, a ballot initiative that passed in 2016. It's certainly an improvement, certainly a step in the right direction. Which limited individual contributions mm-hmm. to campaigns but didn't do anything about so-called dark money. Right. And and so that's why it's a step, but it ain't the journey. Furthermore, you know, you've got actually some, some great things on the ballot with the Clean Missouri Plan coming up here in November. And that goes beyond just campaign reform. It goes to things like redistricting and that sort of thing. And I suppose if, if you wanted to look to how my views have, I would not say changed because they haven't. But um, maybe I've added some layers and detail to what I believe uh, in the last three years. And it goes even beyond uh, campaign finance reform or ethics laws. And what it goes to is what I refer to as democracy repair or reboot. You know, about every 50 years usually in this country, we've done a full reboot of our democracy. We're about 40, 50 years overdue for one right now. So what are you referring to as the last reboot of our democracy? About 100 years ago, we put in uh, you know, primaries. Uh, people, I think, tend to think that primaries are like in the Constitution or something. They're not. They were put in as a reform because you had folks in back rooms deciding who got nominated. And, you know, Boss Tweed famously said, I don't care who does the electing as long as I do the nominating. That's why they did that. And like any other reform, over time, politicians got a hold of it and made it work for them. 
and really fighting corruption, fighting problems in, in ethics and in government is really no different than fighting organized crime. It's not something you do and then you're done. Like the FBI doesn't doesn't bust one crime family and, and say, well, we're done. We, we finished that problem. No, it's, it's, it takes eternal vigilance and you have to stay one step ahead of it because politicians, and I'm not trying to say all politicians are mobsters. I'm just saying the nature of the system is that politicians are constantly going to try to consolidate power. So you have to take a, a relook at redistricting and the way it works. You have to look at the way we do primaries and make sure the general election really counts. And you have to look at the way campaign finance and lobbying laws operate. Uh, and I think we're really due for a, a total overhaul of that. The Clean Missouri Initiative you mentioned, uh, citizens will have a chance to vote on it in November. Uh, does that accomplish some of that? It accomplishes some of that. I think it's a real step in the right direction. I think any time that you are making the general election really count again, you're bringing more people into the process. And what I mean by that is too often folks feel like you know, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican, they, you know, there's a good chance they live in a district where – the other party totally dominates. And so once you get to the general election, they really feel like it's been determined by the primary. And if they didn't vote in it, they weren't a part of it. And the big problem with that, it's not like, look, I'm a progressive. It's it's not about trying to move people to the middle. It's about the fact that that means that there's a big percentage of your district that you don't feel you have to answer questions of. You don't feel uh, often uh, politicians feel that they don't have to represent them. And you know, you just change the math, you change the way they're incentivized. So you would support a sometimes what's called a wide-open primary, something like California or Washington State? Yeah, there's several different ways to go about it. You know, what Clean Missouri does uh, that's really a step in the right direction um, is it takes a look at the way redistricting works in the state. But also it goes back and takes another look at, at campaign reform, at lobbying reform. But this is the kind of thing – you look at, for instance, right now in Michigan, they're doing uh, a big overhaul of their redistricting uh, system. And, you know, critics will say, well, you know, over time, politicians are going to figure out how to change this and make it work for them. And I say, yeah, you're going to have to do it again. That's how this works. When you were first elected to Missouri, the Missouri House, there were 74 Democrats in it. By 2013, when you left it, there were 53 Democrats. Uh, today, there are 46 Obviously, there's also a Republican governor now. Is Missouri as red a state as it has ever been? I don't know. I'm not a pundit or uh, a strategist. I'm, I'm just a guy who has run for a few offices. I suppose, I mean, I guess if you just look at the numbers, yeah, I mean, Trump won the state by 19. But this is also a state where you have the opportunity to make your argument and people will hear you out. I mean, if you look at, you know, 2016, where Trump uh, won the state by 19 and I lost by 2.8 on the same day, um, I think that indicates that people are, are willing to hear you out. I, I think uh, that Claire McCaskill is going to win in November. And then I think, once again, people will not know what to say about Missouri. You, you obviously, two years ago, did have your own experience traveling statewide. What do you think Democrats are doing right in states like Missouri? And, and, and what could they be doing better? Well, if you look at Claire McCaskill, which she's setting a great example of somebody who's just working really hard. I mean, everybody knows that Claire cares about the people of Missouri. They know that she says what she believes. And those are really the standards by which voters judge everybody, right? I mean, there are some politicians out there, I think, who think that, like, it's a multiple choice test and you have to, you have to figure out exactly where the voters are and then go to where they already are. And in Missouri, and I think really throughout the country, folks appreciate uh, folks who run for office and don't do that. And that's that's what Claire's doing. But I think that's really what it's all about. I think that's the key to politics. And I think people overcomplicate it. 
Is there a particular message that you think Democrats, um, not, and not just Claire McCaskill, even your your local state representative candidate, uh, are need to be sounding more of than they have been? Well, just for me personally, like when people ask me, why are you a Democrat? I say, because I give a damn about people, uh, including people who I don't know. And I think that's what it is to be a Democrat. And I think if you boil that down, if you go a little deeper, that is uh, really very much in flow with and in, in synergy with why I decided to run for mayor of Kansas City. You know, all the things I believe about politics, all the policies I believe in, what they really come down to are making it so that you don't have to leave your hometown or move across town in your hometown in order to be successful. And that's really what I want to do uh, here in Kansas City. I mean, if you think about what voters really care about, they care about four major things for their family. They want their family to be happy, to be healthy, to be safe, and to be nearby. And I believe that uh, I can help achieve that here in Kansas City, and I also happen to think that that's really what my party stands for. So as you gear up for that 2019 municipal election, uh, most of us are still pretty focused on the 2018 election. As am I. (laughs) We've talked a lot about um, Senator McCaskill locked in this tight race with Attorney General Josh Hawley. Uh, You know a little bit about tight races uh, for the U.S. Senate. Um, And for Secretary of State. That's true. That's right. You won with uh, just a a few few thousand votes. Yeah, I've been in a couple of pretty tight statewide races. Um, I can't be the only one to observe that in some ways the contours of your run in 2016 look a little bit like contours of Josh Hawley's run this year. You're like you. Hawley is young. He's a rising star in his party. Had some statewide experience, but an outsider to Washington. Um, he likes to wear a jacket and no tie. Uh, <laughs> do you uh, do you see the similarities? Well, I usually wear a tie. Okay, that's uh, right. <laughs> and I, I don't. You know, it's funny. He's got all these ads on TV, and so occasionally, as I'm getting around town, occasionally in Kansas City, and look, we're very polite people. And occasionally, uh, I can tell when people have mistaken me for him. And he and I have never met. But people will politely start to say something to me like, you know, I really don't like what you're saying about her family. And uh, and I and this happens every, every you know, couple of weeks. And I say, I'm Jason Kander. And they go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, Jason. And, uh, and, uh, and so, you know, obviously, I bristle at the idea that there are similarities. I, I think one of the biggest differences is that I mean, there are a lot of big differences. Um, and obviously, there are enormous differences in, in what we believe in. But I think that's part of it is that I was out there saying what I believe in. And when I watch Josh Hawley, I, I feel like Josh Hawley is impersonating somebody who he thinks is going to appeal. And that's so different than Claire McCaskill. I want to ask you a last question. Sure. Um, when we talked back in 2015, mm-hmm. we were talking about why you named your son True. Uh, uh-huh. he, he said you didn't name him Truman because you didn't want to condemn him to a life of politics. Yeah. Uh, but you named him True after the quote from Hamlet – to thine own self be true. Yeah. You very publicly ha- were were interested in being a U.S. senator. You wanted it really bad. You weren't elected. Uh, the last couple of years, you've worked on national issues. You're running for mayor of Kansas City now. Do you feel like you're being true to yourself? Absolutely. Every time I've ever run for an office, it's been because there was a change in the world that I wanted to see, and there happened to be an office between me and that change. I ran for state representative uh, here in Kansas City uh, because— at the time, the state had cut a bunch of people off of Medicaid. And I looked at how that affected folks here in Kansas City. I didn't like it. I wanted to try to change it. Uh, and then um, in uh, 2012, I looked at the prospects of a Republican being elected secretary of state in the midst of a fight over voting rights. And I didn't like the idea of voting rights being taken away from Missourians. I didn't want 
I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to go in the other direction. That's the change I wanted to see. So I ran for Secretary of State and I won. Ran for the U.S. Senate because I wanted to stand up for my fellow veterans. I wanted to defend Obamacare. Um, I believed we needed uh, middle-class tax relief. Um, and so I ran. Um, and now I look and, like I said, I mean, our city has seen uh, tremendous progress. But it's a question of whether or not that progress is going to be felt uh, and seen by everybody across town. That's a change that I want to see. And, look, I'm a fifth-generation Kansas City, and True is a sixth-generation Kansas City. And the first Kansas got here in the 1880s. It's no secret that over the last year and a half, uh, as I've been doing the work I've been doing and I'm proud to, to be doing with Let America Vote, I've also been thinking about what the best way was for me to serve my community, including whether or not that was running for office at all. And the conclusion I came to is that the very best thing I can do to serve my community uh, is to run for mayor. I, the next mayor of Kansas City is going to have an impact on, on our town for, for generations. Um, and I believe I'm the right person for that job, and I'm really passionate about it. I have a brand new colleague at KCUR, and it's big news for this podcast. Our first ever full-time Missouri government and politics reporter, Samuel King. I come from uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I worked in television for many, many, many years. And finally, you have graduated to real journalism. Well, I won't go that far no. <laughs> in case some of my TV folks are listening, but wanted to try sort of a different uh, challenge, different medium, different format, and, and things like, you know, State House Blend give you more room to talk about some issues that you don't necessarily get on television. And when your first week on the job includes a primary election, you get to dig deeply into one of those issues, right to work. By a nearly two-to-one margin, voters repealed the state's right-to-work law approved just last year. That means Missouri bucked the national trend and remains, like Minnesota, one of 23 states without the law. Of course, we haven't heard the last of it. Well, Republicans especially and business groups have been trying to get Missouri to be a right-to-work state for years. And what right-to-work basically means for people who after the barrage of ads and everything over the past year or so don't still don't know it basically means workers would not have to pay unions dues in a workplace in the private sector this applies to the private sector or if they're not members fees for the cost of bargaining with your bosses or managers the corporate and, and it had a lot of support from uh, republicans in particular because they said this was good for business they said it made missouri more competitive right uh, because now we have reached a point where the majority majority of states are right-to-work states, and Missouri is still a bit in, in, in the minority now. Uh, so they feel uh, the supporters of right-to-work saying Missouri is now at a competitive disadvantage. A lot of companies won't consider uh, Missouri uh, because uh, it is not a right-to-work state. This was a big priority for uh, former Governor Eric Greitens. Uh, the, it was actually passed not this year, but last year in the legislative session, shortly after he took office. What's the this month's vote's impact? How how does this matter now going going forward? Well, I think it's interesting because you had such an overwhelming vote against it, and not just in Kansas City or St. Louis. Uh, there were wide swaths of the state that voted no, pretty overwhelmingly to this. Uh, you know, I'm curious, and and I you do wonder how much those lawmakers are going to want to have uh, have this right to work bill hung on them now, uh, knowing how strongly it was rejected by voters. Yeah, I think that's, you're starting to see some discomfort with, okay, do we need to bring this up, especially, uh, you know, right away. So I, I would be surprised. And I think a lot of people 
people would be surprised whether this comes up right away. But uh, that doesn't mean that a bill would, won't be introduced. It's whether it would actually move through um, and whether this would actually be, uh, as you mentioned, Brian, an election issue this year where, you know, Democrats running in some of the districts that uh, might be competitive or they might feel they have a chance, even if they haven't in the past, is this, hey, this lawmaker supported uh, right to work. Uh, you voted against it. If you send him back to Jefferson City, he might try to do this again or she right. might try to do this again. Right. So th that could be something to, to watch out for in the fall. And, and I will say the, the union said they will hold people accountable. They feel they can take this momentum here and hold uh, lawmakers accountable for their uh, stances on right to work and, and other issues important to unions and employees in the state. The one unquestionable winner in this has been organized labor. They got to be hoping that they can, can replicate this elsewhere, right? Yeah, labor is really energized by the outcome and they say it will give them a lot of momentum. Just to show you how important that the labor movement thought this vote was, they brought in their national leaders and they were here uh, on, uh, on the election night, the primary night uh, with this. One is Liz Schuler. She is the secretary treasurer of the national AFL-CIO. She says before this vote, people thought right to work was a given. We feel like this is um, the moment where we pivot into massive organizing, workers coming together and collective action to fight back against corporate greed. And, and we do that best when we do it together. And they feel that messaging is really going to resonate beyond this. And it, it would seem that their messaging, you know, we we're talking about how does this apply to the average worker. The unions really spent a lot of time and at the victory party, they played a lot of the ads saying, hey, this hurts you. This is a way to fight back against sort of a corporate in interest. It is sort of a populist message that they feel they can take to some of the the other states and use this as sort of as you know uh, an impetus for it uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they use this sort of momentum in other uh, areas other uh, policy areas that that are important to them so even though that vote is over, I have a feeling this is not the last time we're going to be talking about this. No, if not next year, probably the year after or the year after that, if it doesn't get passed. I don't think this is going away anytime soon. As KCUR says hello to a new Missouri politics and government reporter, Kansas City is losing from our day-to-day -day journalistic rompings around the city. The lead political reporter, the Kansas City Star, Brian Lowry. Brian, welcome one last time in person, at least for now, to Statehouse Blend. Right. And I, I will just be clear. Thank you for welcoming. I'm still going to be with the Kansas City Star. I'm uh, changing my role. I am going to be the Washington correspondent, which means I will be following uh, Claire McCaskill around. And if uh, Josh Hawley succeeds, I'll be following him around. Well, congratulations, Brian. In all seriousness, it's a, it's a great honor and uh, we, we will miss you around here. Uh, so, Brian, I, I do want to ask you, uh, we are talking for the first time since the 2018 primary elections that set the stage for that U.S. Senate race, as well as uh, the rest of the, the statewide and local elections. Uh, any big takeaways from the 2018 election for you, the primary? It happened exactly as we expected it to happen for a full year. I think there's 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 a contrast between the two states, how anticlimactic 
the Missouri primaries right. felt as far as the uh, U.S. Senate race goes. Surprise, uh, Claire McCaskill was able to defeat the Democrats that you had never heard of. Right. Uh, and, and Josh Hawley and with jo- the president's endorsement. Yeah, Josh uh, Hawley with the president's endorsement, who had been recruited into the race by the vice president and Jack Danforth. And it, that actually makes it kind of tough to gauge Hawley's support. We can see that he got a high level of support, but he wasn't running against anyone who's ever... Well, and, and actually, you know, it wasn't that high a level right. of support. What did he get? 50... 8%? Right, you're right. It's 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 it was not it was not a three quarters of the electorate. So there were still a a lot of people who were willing to vote. So it makes it really difficult to to say how commanding he comes into uh, this general election. Has Holly really excited anybody? Well, the things he's doing to excite people, how well they play, I don't know. Uh, obviously, he and Claire McCaskill, it's the weirdest debate to me, or debating about whether they're going to debate, even right. though both of them seem to agree that they will debate. <clears throat> I think the most fascinating thing was just by what a, a wide margin uh, the right to work measure failed. You know, if I had to gauge uh, what that right to work vote means, it could be a positive sign for Claire McCaskill. Well, which does lead us to the question you said a moment ago, was Josh Hawley really exciting people uh, with his candidacy? But but is Claire McCaskill exciting Democrats with her candidacy? Um, I mean, that I think was clearly an issue for her, particularly urban Democrats, St. Louis and Kansas City, that she had to eventually try to address because so much of her campaign was based on reaching out to Trump voters and trying to compete in the counties where, you know, she's probably going to lose that county, but she doesn't want to get crushed. Uh, that there were certainly some Democrats out there who felt a little bit uh, neglected, pe- particularly people of color in right. St. Louis and Kansas City. And then she and she started to make the outreach to them. Like I guess that's the question. Is that even, this is this this is the election that could decide control over the U.S. election. But is either party's base as excited as they should be? It doesn't really feel like that. But maybe that's because I was bleary eyed covering the Kansas governor's race. <laughs> no, um, I, I I don't think you're wrong about that. And I think it's particularly interesting in the case of Claire McCaskill, who you could argue that six years ago she also didn't particularly excite her base until Todd Aiken said the things he right. said, and that motivated the to say, well, gosh, I may not be excited about Claire McCaskill, but we can't have that guy. But if you want to pick an issue where Hawley is trying to excite his base, which is a substantive issue, which is is more important than Claire McCaskill's plane or whether or not she'll get on the back of his trailer, uh, is this issue of the Supreme Court. He is really... Uh, tying his candidacy very closely to this issue uh, with his full-throated support of, of Kavanaugh. And I think that's where, you know, it is a little bit of a tricky vote for her because she's trying to reach out to those Trump voters. And if she, you know, votes against both of the president's nominees for the court, that that's a big hammer uh for Holly, a vote on Kavanaugh will likely take place just before the election, which is really what paid off big for Trump in 2016. I think people forget how key that actually was. I think that's the, when we get to excitement about Holly, though, we always have to come back. We You can't get away from Donald Trump in U.S. Right. politics. Right. But that's kind of the issue for him is, can he get the Trump people excited and then if you get the Trump people excited, are you losing the people who don't like right. Trump? He has to walk a real tightrope. Brian Lowry, uh, what will you miss most about living in Kansas City? Um, I'm definitely going to miss the barbecue. I'm going to miss. I'm going <laughs> to. 
<laughs> this is a, a ridiculous thing to say, but I'm going to miss the cost of living. I'm going to miss KCUR. <laughs> That's what we were waiting for. <laughs> and Whoa. and the the state the KCUR coffee that I get when I come on State House Blend in particular. Well, we uh, we will miss having you around, Brian. But we are glad we will be able to continue reading you on the pages of the Kansas City Star and the Star website. Uh, Brian Lowry, lead political reporter for the Kansas City Star. Thanks for all the time you have spent with us on Statehouse Blend, Missouri. Thank you so much, Brad. As the November elections draw closer, Statehouse Blend will stay on top of the Holly McCaskill race. We'll also take a look at some key legislative races and, of course, the seven, count them, seven ballot issues. A gas tax, marijuana, minimum wage, bingo. No, seriously, we'll be voting on bingo. So subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. Statehouse Blend Missouri is produced by Matt Hodap. We had help from Maria Carter. I'm Brian Ellison. Thanks for listening.